This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. My name is Aaron Carruthers. I am the Executive Director of the State Council on Developmental Disabilities. The State Council, I'm from our headquarters office in Sacramento, but we have regional offices. There's one here in Oakland, and how many folks have worked with our fantastic leader in that office, Sheridan Nicolau? Um, uh, yeah. She's a fantastic resource to uh, this community, uh, to all of you, and she is uh, a fantastic resource for us at the State Council. Um, has every presenter had this slide? Disclosures. I have nothing to disclose. It's very official. It's very important. I was instructed. I must have this slide. Um, so there it is. I have nothing financial to disclose, um, but I do have some other disclosures. One, my slides are not in your booklet. Uh, I got them a little bit late, uh, so they weren't ready for printing, even though Galen did her best to make sure I got them in time so you'd have them, which means you just have to listen and focus up here and enjoy. Um, uh, next disclosure, I try to make my presentations to be as accessible as possible. Um, I will already point out this presentation is not accessible. Just look. Everybody is expected to sit in a seat, face this direction, be relatively quiet. You were told to be quiet. Um, <laughs> otherwise, it wouldn't. Jerry was like, we're not, we're not going any further unless you're quiet. Um, so full disclosure and a sense of accessibility, uh, do what you need to do to be comfortable, to be able to absorb this information in the best way that works for you. Um, if that means uh, moving, standing in a corner, stretching, uh, stimming, vocalizing, whatever it is you need to do, um, please feel free to do that. This is an accessible presentation. Uh, next disclosure is that what I'm about to talk about is very high level. In fact, you, each of you in this room probably knows more about one of these topics than I will talk about today. The purpose of that is so I can cover a lot of areas. Um, uh, it's, I'm not giving you the depth and totality of everything that I know today on each of these topics, um, but each topic, we probably could have an entire conference devoted to each one. Um, and in fact, if I do my job very well, by the end of 45 minutes, you just may be exhausted by what I've covered. Um, so um, thank you for that, and those are my disclosures, though I formally don't have anything to disclose. Uh, first is the overview. The purpose of this presentation is to describe the major changes that are in motion inside and outside of the developmental disability services system. So I come from Sacramento, I have a Sacramento perspective, I, I focus on the statewide issues, and there are federal and state policies that are underway that's gonna reshape the service delivery system for the next generation or two to come. That's pretty exciting, we're part of that, you're living that, you're living that. Even as these changes are underway, there's other aspects that don't, still don't meet people's needs, so we'll talk about both of those. Uh, this is, for continuing education credits. You have learning objectives. Um, first objective is to know who is the State Council on Developmental Disabilities, why do we exist, and what do we do. The next objective, too, is are the system changes that I talked about. By the end, you'll hopefully be able to identify at least three changes currently reshaping the developmental disability service system. And objective three is living a full life identify at least three needs people with IDD have outside of the service delivery system. 
So objective number one, the State Council on Developmental Disabilities. Uh, we are an entity that exists in federal law and state law. We exist in the Federal DD Act and we exist in the Lanterman Act. We are structured, we are a state department, um, but we are independent. Um, we're independent of any other state department or um, like DDS. We're independent of any agency like Health and Human Services Agency. And we are funded by Congress. Um, we are a line item. All councils throughout the country and all the territories um, are a line item and funded through Congress. Uh, we're part of a sister network of 56 councils. Um, I know you're already thinking, Aaron, 56 state councils, there's only 50 councils. Uh, it's because we also exist in all of the territories, too. Um, so Guam, Puerto Rico, uh, Mariana Islands. Um, there's a council like ours throughout uh, all of these states and territories. Um, we have a very unique statutory authority, and that is to advocate. It's kind of a cool authority. Um, we can advocate... Uh, other state departments can't advocate. The governor can advocate. State departments can't advocate. We can advocate. Uh, we build capacity and we change systems. Those, those are our three functions. Uh, advocate, build capacity, change systems. We're the only state entity that exists with a specific charge to change the systems. Um, so we like that. Again, as I said before, we have a headquarters office in Sacramento. We have regional presence. Uh, there's 12 regional offices, so every part of the state is covered by uh, one of the regional offices. Your local one is in Oakland. We do this work by training people with intellectual and developmental disabilities and their family members to be their own advocates. The more we train, the more we amplify and multiply those who are able to do the advocacy. So we start there. Uh, we also do direct advocacy ourselves on important issues. Uh, the scope of our work, thank you, Jerry, for mentioning last year, our work impacted 1.9 million people. Um, a couple of specific numbers in there is that we uh, 20,000 people came to our trainings last year. We have trainings on a number of, I think it was 51 different topics we do trainings on. Collectively, 20,000 people attended those. Um, you're actually one of the trainings. I'm, as I'm talking, I'll be looking around the room. You'll think I'm trying to make eye contact and be a good presenter. I'm actually just getting an accurate head count. No. Just kidding. Um, in addition, we provide technical assistance to 10,000 people. Technical assistance is, uh, I'm a single person, I have a question. Uh, let me go to my local state council office and ask them, uh, here's the problem I'm having, what do you think? We're system navigators. We help people work through the different parts of the system, uh, largely where the parts of the system are breaking down. So that was objective one. Good job. You got through it very quickly, very easily. Congratulations. Do you want to breather? No. Okay, we'll keep going. Objective two, systems change. The first phenomenon underway that is going to reshape our service delivery system for the next generation is that the people entering regional centers are entering at a rate five times faster than the growth of California's population. So California grows at about 1% per year, and recently individuals with intellectual and development disabilities have been coming to regional centers at a rate of 5% per year. Uh, last year, or this year, uh, in January, the governor proposed his budget. It begins in July, and he proposed $9.2 billion for the Department of Developmental Services. This was a $1 billion increase um, over the amount that was spent in the prior year. Um, $1 billion is a huge number. Um, but when it's really only going for population growth and keeping up with state minimum wages, um, it doesn't go very far. I don't know how much DDS talked about that. 
uh, this morning. Um, but the rate of people coming into the system, I know they told you there was 386,000 individuals they expect to serve through the 21 independent regional centers. But it results in 50 people per day coming to a regional center. That's more than two people per regional center knocking on the door and saying, I'm new and I am entitled to these services. Um, the system can't quite figure out how to keep up with this pace of change. So this is the first factor that is going to be reshaping the service delivery system for the next generation. Uh, the next one after that is the home and community-based services final rule. This set of regulations was issued by the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS, in 2014, and it's to be implemented by 2022. Um, Eight years, that's a long time to get something done, right? Um, we should be pretty far down the way to implementing this rule, right? Um, I see a head shaking in the front of no. Uh, I agree. A head shaking in the front of no. What this final rule says is that to get the federal funding under the HCBS waiver, which is the Medicaid waiver that funds regional center services, um, the state must be providing services in the most integrated setting as appropriate. So the setting should be selected by individuals from options that include non-disability-specific settings. Um, it's integrated and supports access to the greater community. And if we're not able to get this done by 2022, then there's $2.8 billion at risk for not meeting the federal rule. Every single system, every single service and provider needs to do a self-assessment to say, Here's my best understanding of the settings rule, and here's my best understanding of whether or not I meet that. Um, how many providers in the room today? How, keep your hands up. Um, keep your hands up if you have actually received this survey. Oh, that's pretty telling, isn't it? So by 22, that's, that's a best barometer of where we are in implementation of this program. So those providers haven't even received the survey to fill out. Um, to state whether or not my services are HCBS compliant. Um, this is a lot of work to do in two short years um, with the scope of the services throughout California. And there's a lot at risk for not getting it right. Um, there are very good reasons to get it right. These settings are the promise of the Lanterman Act from 50 years ago. Um, it's the promise that people will be served in the community in integrated settings, and yet we're very slowly doing that. Um, it was only last month that California shut down the last of its developmental centers. Um, so as we all know, the California has a history of institutionalization. Um, 130, 140 years ago, very well-intentioned, smart people, uh, much like all of us here today. By the way, we are the well-intentioned, smart people of our time. Um, I know. Kind of scary. You thought it was somebody else. It's not. It's you. It's us. It's me. Um, the group of us from 130, 140 years ago decided what's the best, most humane thing we should do for people with intellectual and developmental disabilities? Build big, giant, stone gray houses in Sonoma County and lock people away there forever. Um, uh, we've, it's taken us a long time to become more enlightened um, and some pushes from the federal government, um, but the state has finally closed those developmental centers. Um, that's a yay. Um, a few remain for people with forensic commitments, so coming through the criminal justice system. Um, 
but this is part of the change. It's part of the movement. It's part of the promise of Olmstead. It's part of the promise of the Developmental Federal Developmental Disabilities Act. It's part of the promise of the Lanterman Act. And we have two short years to um, make it happen. So this is going to be significant in reshaping and changing the system for a generation to come. Beyond that, uh, beyond the extra billion dollars that the governor has proposed just to keep up with caseload, keep up with caseload and keep up with minimum wage, um, as we move people out of developmental centers into the community, uh, then Governor Brown began a task force under then Secretary Dooley to look at how do we make it successful for reentry in the community. Um, that task force pretty quickly, the providers in the task force said, uh, we're already stretched, we're already at capacity, we're already scrambling just to make th- pay bills. Um, the rates don't cover the costs. Um, the rates are inconsistent. Uh, the rates are inconsistent from provider within regional centers. They're inconsistent across regional centers. I could be, um, uh, I could be a single provider with multiple services and receive different rates for the same services. Um, it's just a mess that's been built over time. Um, to successfully move people out of developmental centers, you have to fortify and shore up the currently existing uh, system and the rate structures. So uh, three years ago, the administration put aside $3 million to conduct what was called the rate study. Uh, This was given by the Department of Developmental Services to Burns & Associates. Uh, They went through and looked at every aspect of costs um, for what it costs to provide the services. A uh, show of hands again for those uh, providers in the room. Um, uh, keep your hands up if you remember this survey. Um, it was over there, one hand up. Uh, what was the experience of filling out that survey? Grueling is a good word for it. But hopeful, that's good. Yeah, grueling but hopeful, that's good. It was, it was complex, it was tedious, it was, oh my goodness, um, to get it done. Um, but got it done and they produced very comprehensive, thorough, it's 22 pages of detailed charts looking at every single service, every single code, um, what are the costs that go into it, varying it by region, okay, if cost of living is higher there, let's give them a differential. If they're in rural areas and have to travel more to get there, let's give them a differential. It was thoughtful. Um, It also came to uh, a bottom line regarding uh, a sticker shock. Um, which was their conclusion was the system currently functioning is underfunded by $1.8 billion. billion. Uh, The $1.8 billion does not factor in the billion the governor just put into it. That's just keeping pace. The $1.8 billion is in addition um, to get the system fully funded for how it is operating now. They've done a few changes that at 1.8 is actually now at $1.4 billion. Um, So $400 million is progress. That was supposed to be a little funny, but that's okay. I mean, it was just funny to me. <laughs> so uh, that the rate that providers are struggling uh, so intensely to keep the doors open, to keep the services going that are functioning under complex uh, rules and rate structures, um, and the attempt to look at that, to make it uniform, to make it transparent, to make it sustainable, and to create quality outcomes um, is actually a big focus in, in Sacramento right now. Next item that will reshape the service delivery system 
uh, for the next generation to come is the self-determination program. So the self-determination is a separate waiver from CMS that is independent of the HCBS waiver, the Home and Community-Based Services waiver. Uh, it ends up being a different way that regional center clients can get services from the regional center. Um, it provides regional centers and their families more flexibility, control in their services. Uh, they don't have to use vendored providers to receive the services. Uh, they'll work with an independent facilitator or fiscal management services to manage the money, and they're more in control rather than the service coordinator um, in coming up with how do we get the service, how do I get the services for what I need. So the, the statement was, is it going, you still have to jump through a lot of hoops. You still have to use generic services like IHSS, and that's not really helpful. Um, correct. These still have the same CMS rules that apply where it's uh, the, the regional center in this program becomes the payer of last resort. Um, but there's a bit more flexibility in choosing who your providers are going to be. Um, so this program was approved by CMS in 2018. Uh, there was, it was based on a pilot program that ran for 20 years and was hugely successful. Um, so they are phasing in the program, this program, with an initial 2,500 individuals whose uh, names were drawn kind of out of a lottery. They did an orientation. They said, I, I saw your orientation. I'm interested to put my name in it. And then people's names were drawn by regional center, uh, by race, by disability, by age. And uh, that was in October of 2018. Um, it's now... March of 2020, and out of those 2,500 people, uh, there's 150 who are actually in the program. So a lot of time is going by, um, and people are finding, and there's a lot of uh, complexity, as Liz said, there's a lot of barriers for getting involved in it. Uh, Melissa is a member of the statewide self-determination advisory committee, um, where she comes to Sacramento to work with representatives from all regional centers on, uh, on barriers. Uh, the group produced uh, is working on a paper that has 10 barriers, and um, even more important than naming barriers is identifying solutions to get through those barriers. Um, so they're working hard to help what is an important policy change be able to live up to its potential. Uh, Self-determination and the idea of it is, is critical to the council's mission. It's, it's literally in our mission statement to support people to lead self-determined lives. Uh, that's certainly this formal program, but it's self-determined lives is in many, many different ways too. Um, so we want to see uh, this succeed. It's supposed to be expanded. Well, the law currently states that come June of 2021, it'll be expanded and eligible to every single regional center client who chooses uh, this voluntary program. So in summary about the system changes, um, huge system changes that are underway, uh, the system's growing five times faster than the state's population. The home and community-based settings final rule says that settings have to, services have to be delivered in community-integrated settings, including options that aren't disability-specific. Um, the, as you saw from this room, uh, no provider has received a survey um, to do a self-statement that they are meeting HCBS rules, um, and yet we have to be compliant by 2022. Um, regional center provider rates are $1.8 billion underfunded, um, or $1.4, because $400 million is progress. And um, the self-determination program is uh, reshaping how people can choose uh, their, their services. So the next learning objective is about living a full life. 
um, outside of the regional center system. The regional center system gets a lot of attention, but the state council, our mission is is the entire continuum of someone's uh, of existence. And and what does it mean to live community integration? Oftentimes happens outside the regional center system. Um, when we are currently in the process of developing our next state five year state plan, we operate in a five year system. And the, to do that, we start off with you, and we ask you, the community, what is it that you'd like the state council to work on over the next five years? If any of you received that survey, took that survey, thank you very much for, for doing that. Um, we have received uh, 5,000 responses, and um, the number one response from people with intellectual development disabilities is, I want you, the state council, to work on housing. Um, five years, ten years ago when we took this, the number one answer was, um, I want you to work on generic services. Benefits. Number one priority for me as a person with an IDD is I want to make sure you, that I'm able to keep my benefits and don't lose them. Five years later when we took the survey, the number one answer was employment. It's not just benefits that are important to me, it's having a full meaningful existence and I see that as through employment. Um, now it's a trend toward housing. Um, so it's a really interesting snapshot um, that shows how quickly views of one's life is changing. Um, what is it that I view for myself as possible? What do families view for me as possible? It's changing in a very quick way that we can measure. So the number one answer um, is housing. Uh, no, you don't have to do a show of hands. Um, you can just answer quietly for yourself. But if anybody here is experiencing their own um, housing challenges, housing is a crisis throughout the state. Uh, every Every area that I go into says, you think they have it bad, we have it bad. I think the Bay Area may be able to actually claim authority to that statement, um, but whether it's, it's rural or urban, um, suburban, every single part of the state is suffering. Uh, interestingly, housing for people with intellectual development disabilities is a crisis within a crisis, and it's a bit silent. Um, that's because there are 100,000 adult regional center clients who are living with family members. So the promise of the Lanterman Act is really being delivered on the backs of, of families. Um, in the next 10 years, there's a question of well, what happens, um, of really a crisis of housing instability um, with aging family members. Um, there's really only 11% of people with disabilities. We, we looked at regional center clients and we looked at people receiving IHSS, and a total of 11% are living independently. Um, so where do people want to live? Um, every time I talk about this, someone says, Aaron, people want to live at home. Absolutely, no doubt. But if they don't want to live at home, where are their options? Um, and looking, we surveyed the state and we've looked at national data and it's approximately half of adults with intellectual and development disabilities who are living at home say, living at home is nice, I think I'd like my own place. Um, the, the numbers for family members, there's actually about a quarter, um, both statewide and nationally, and the numbers match each other, who say, yes, my loved one's living at home, um, and I think it'd be nice for them, for all of us, if they had their own place. Um, so if we took... So that's half of people, half of adults with intellectual development disabilities and a quarter of family members. Um, if we went really conservative and just said 10% of adults currently living at home could be off on their own, um, and we looked at just 10%, a third of the people who are living in congregate settings, what we would see is that there are 20,000 housing units uh, that are needed. 
Um, 20,000 is a significant number and um, is more than really what the system is even contemplating right now. Most of the conversations around housing are going to homelessness. Uh, It should. That's important. What I'm talking about here is separate, uh, apart, and distinct from uh, homelessness crisis that we're facing. Um, But we're talking in conversation with the legislature about ways to address this. The next objective about living a full life is employment. And the employment rate of regional center clients is 13.6%. That's not the unemployment rate. That's the employment rate. So after a decade of economic recovery, we've seen almost zero impact, no movement in lines of how many people or regional center clients are employed. When we look a little bit deeper into those numbers, the numbers are even uh, more shocking. There's about 4,500 individuals who are regional center clients who are adults who are working in competitive integrative employment. So this is largely considered as real work for real pay. Um, After that is about 5,400 individuals who are in group employment. And after that is 67,000 people who are tagged as being employed, a regional center client who's being employed, um, but they're actually in a day program, a day program lookalike or in subminimum wage. Um, it's, it's a problem that in California we still find it acceptable to pay people less than their human worth and less than their human value, and that's what subminimum wage is. So the next piece of what people want outside of the service delivery system is meaningful experience through employment, meaningful contribution, meaningful purpose. The next piece after that is uh, safety. Um, safety is coming in a number of different ways. Uh, there's some expected and there's some unexpected. There's some loud and there's some quiet. Um, public safety power shutoffs is affecting this area. I know that it affects uh, Santa Cruz area, affects the Marin area. Um, that, the utilities in pg e specifically, has a public safety problem um, by their aging infrastructure, and their solution to it is just turn off the electricity when the winds become too high and the air becomes too dry creates another public safety problem, and that's the impact on people with disabilities without having electricity for extended periods of time. There is a medical baseline program that people can sign up for. If, you, if not having electricity for two hours will create a medical problem for you, uh, you can be put on a special list and, and you're bypassed or get special services. Um, that doesn't help when the minimum time to turn the power back on after a public safety power shutoff is uh, 24 to 48 hours. Um, So, again, they've created a solution that's going to cause a different public safety problem. Another piece around safety that's of concern is interactions with law enforcement. Um, The state council has uh, staff who are certified to be post trainers. So post is the peace officer training standards, the official entity that does accreditation for law enforcement curriculum and trainers. Uh, We go in and we have staff who are post-certified and we go in and work directly with law enforcement officers, law enforcement training officers on the disability curriculum. Um, Additionally, we're looking for ways that we can train people with disabilities and their family members on interactions with law enforcement. Each time there is a tragedy, and it is a gross tragedy, it brings up the issue um, again and again. Um, another piece that's sort of silent, I talked about the loud ones, I talked about the silent ones, um, sexual assault against people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Um, Statistics are, and it's hard to know any statistics really, but only about 3% of these assaults are reported. 
Um, abuse, neglect, crime, people with intellectual and development disabilities are four to ten times more likely to be victims of abuse, neglect, and crime. Um, something that's not really thought of too often as a safety issue is dental care. Um, but for those who've been in dental crisis, understand how this becomes a dental a safety issue. Very interestingly, the California Dental Association reached out to us recently and said, our dentists are tired of not being able to provide the care they want to provide to people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. So we're excited that the dentists have prioritized this as a problem, and we're, we're optimistic about what we can actually accomplish together to create some progress in this area. Um, safety is a fantastic topic because it's always changing, um, and something that should be up on this PowerPoint, but it's not up on the PowerPoint, is uh, COVID-19 or the coronavirus. So on the drive here, I was on the phone with the governor's office of emergency services as that office was leading a statewide call among uh, disability advocates about needs and next steps. Um, we said what's needed is, is guidelines, is guidance specific to our community. They, 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 when they think of us, they think of it broader than just intellectual development disabilities, broader out to the access and functional needs. Individuals with access and functional needs is the operating definition they use. Um, the Department of Public Health is working on that um, guidance, and uh, that they said it should be released within a few days. We're happy to get that to you uh, when it is. Uh, we asked about the impact of uh, the governor's executive order. Um, does it then free up dollars? Uh, we're hearing that there are providers who are um, holding fundraisers to try to provide supplies of, of gloves, masks, um, uh, sanitizer. And um, uh, they, as we talked about with the rate structure crisis, there isn't a lot of flexibility in the funding for them um, when these crises happen. Um, so does a governor's emergency declaration then free up and make flexible other funding sources. Uh, they don't have an answer, but they're going to look into that. Uh, we also asked the question regarding the million masks. So the governor announced the million masks, and our question was, um, where are they and how are they going to be distributed? Um, the details on that are still not known. So um, these are all under development, and by asking the questions, hopefully we'll get answers uh, sooner. So... Again, just to summarize the elements for living a full life that people have been coming to the council about and prioritizing is housing, it's employment, um, it's safety, and under safety there are a number of uh, topics. So summarizing again, uh, learning objective number one is that you would know the role of the state council and how we function and what we do. Next is to be able to name at least three changes currently underway that reshapes the developmental disability system for a generation or two to come. And... After that, learning objective number three is identify at least three needs that people with intellectual and development disabilities have expressed that they like that served outside the service delivery system. Um, so thank you very much for your patience. And um, with that, I'm happy to take any questions or, or comments. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.